Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Mother's Day to all of you this Mother's Day. Amen? Yes, um, well... I just want to say Happy Mother's Day. First off, I want to really widen this out to you mothers who are biological mothers, to you stepmothers, foster mothers, any of you ladies who stepped in to be a mom to someone. We appreciate all because I know and mothering is not an easy thing to do. I'm watching my daughter do this now, raise her kids, which is like payback, but praise the Lord, you know. <clears throat> not so easy and stuff like that. And uh, I had a really good mom, which I really attribute a lot of um, my drivenness to her. She was a very driven individual, and my dad was a laid-back type, and uh, but so I think I get the drivenness from my mom, but I'm learning the laid-back type as I get older in my life, and how many know what I'm talking about as you get older? Try to balance your life out a little bit. You don't have to be so high-strung all the time and stuff like that, so. But um, <clears throat> today what I want to do, and I want to get right into it because I want to, uh, I, I always change, tweak a little bit my format on how I teach on a Mother's Day or on a Father's Day. Dads, you're going to get yours next month, okay? So today's Mom's Day. But I always tweak it a little bit. You have no fill-ins on your discussion outlines. It's, I got three bullet points in there, but they're already filled in for you. So everything's cool on that one. I like to take a story from the Bible and illustrate that story and bring home one strong idea, truth at the very end of it, just to, for, for today will be for you moms. And so since we're in our series, um, Love Is, uh, I thought I would take, obviously, the, one of the statements from chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, and we would take that statement and apply it to moms because it applies perfectly. And so let me begin by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 and 5, and it says this. It says, and we, you know, why don't you just read it with me? I think that would be uh, more apropos. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous love does not brag and is not arrogant verse 5 does not act unbecomingly it does not seek its own which is our statement for today is not provoked does not take into account a wrong suffered so love does not seek its own and the idea there is that love and remember these love in the bible is an action statement it is not an emotion it can bring emotion it, as a as a consequence of it a good consequence but love are action these are action statements and therefore it doesn't matter how I feel that day I can still carry out these statements as a person who has the spirit of God living in me because these are fruits of the spirit amen so so love uh, does not seek its own it's the idea of this that love seeks the welfare of the other person it is others centered now let me balance that statement out it doesn't mean that you neglect yourself because how many have learned the hard way that you can't give what you ain't got? Amen? Amen. You got to take care of yourself because if you burn yourself out, you got nothing to give anybody else. So you got to be careful with stuff like that if you take it to extremes because how many know us humans in our fallen nature, we're pretty extreme individuals, right? And so, but mothers, you really um, exemplify, you know, being concerned with the welfare of others just by nature of the fact that you are a mom. And so we've looked at 
Love is patient. We use kindness in there because it's in there. And you cannot be kind unless you're patient, correct? And then we took that into another statement last week. Love is not easily angered. And so if you put those together, if we're patient because of the love of God, then we can be kind. And if we're patient and kind, then we're not going to be prone to be angry with people, are we? Right? And so now today we're going to take another one in the middle there, and that is we're going to look at how love is concerned with the welfare of others. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take you to uh, the parents, specifically the mother of Moses this morning. So if you have your Bible or app, or it'll be on your screen, turn to Exodus chapter 2. And we're going to look at the mother of Moses because she really is faced with a massive dilemma. Now, if you're new to church, somebody invited you today, or you're a brand new Christian, whatever it is, let me fill in the blanks first, give you some background so you know what's going on uh, previous to the story so it makes more sense to you as we put, as we drill down on the story this morning. Well, we have short capsule of history. We have a young man by the name of Joseph. Joseph in Genesis. Joseph was... Um, hated by his brothers, hated by 10 of the brothers, per se, about 10 of them. And um, they sold him into slavery. He's the 11th of 12 sons of Jacob. They sell him into slavery into Egypt. He goes there, very tough circumstances he finds himself under, always rises to the top. We're going to study the man Joseph throughout the summer as we look at the ti- our theme title will be When Life Gives You Lemons. Has life ever given you any lemons? Well, we're going to study that guy through the summer because life gave that guy lemons, and we're going to see what he did with those lemons. Now, he goes there. The brothers tell their dad that a wild animal killed their brother Joseph. So dad thinks he's dead. Can you imagine dad's been mourning him? 20 years go by. There's a famine. And so they are forced to go down to Egypt. By now, Joseph has worked his way up by the help of God, and now he's the second in command of all of Egypt. He's the prime minister. So they go there to get food, and there's, long story short, there's reconciliation with the brothers. Can you imagine that? These are the guys that sold me into slavery, but there's reconciliation, there's forgiveness. And then he says, go bring dad down here too. Come and live down here. And so they do. Dad finds out he's alive. Can you imagine the joy after 20 years that my son is alive? And so um, they come down, about 70 of them, and they get down there, and they start to multiply because Jewish people are like Mexicans, amen? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> like old school Mexicans, okay? Not new school Mexicans, um, but uh, bad, Jim. <laughs> no. We like to have fun at New Beginnings, amen? So, um, so they start to multiply, and time goes by, and then there's a new pharaoh, and the new pharaoh, it says, doesn't know Joseph. In other words, he's not in good terms. He don't he could care less about Joseph. And they're, they're multiplying so fast that he's afraid that the, the Israelites are going to be so many, they will overpower and overthrow the Egyptians. And so what he's going to do now is what he does, or what he does is he puts them into slavery. They become slaves. This is how the 400 years of slavery begins. And not only that, he says, we've got to stop this population explosion. We've got to nip in the bud. So every time a Jewish mom has a male child, you take that child, that boy, a baby boy, and you drown him in the Nile River and you kill him. So this is the circumstance 
behind what we're going to see today. Now, for my sake, just to get it off my chest as a Bible teacher, and for the sake of any young people in here and those who like a little bit more, because I feel very called to give background information to help young people when they're faced, when people tell them, oh, the exodus never happened, or the time frame's off, or there's no such thing in miracles. How many know what I'm talking about, right? So I feel very passionate as I get older to equip people correctly. And I can't go deep into this, but I want you to think about this or just know this. Um, they will try to tell you, in a, the, the, the secularists will try to tell you that the exodus happened about 1250 B.C., that's incorrect. That's 200 years off the timetable. And nothing will fit with 1250 B.C. If you go to 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 1, you will find the timetable. You will give you how many years from this moment back up 480 years. It gives you everything. So the true timetable when they actually left Egypt, the Exodus, is about 1446 or 47 B.C. So it's 200 years even earlier than what they're trying to tell you. And then they're going to tell you that, well, we don't, the Hebrews didn't even show up anywhere in history till about the time of David, about 1,000 years B.C. Incorrect. Because, and this is just one thing, we have the Brooklyn Papyrus. And in the Brooklyn Papyrus, which is dated Middle Kingdom, 13th century Egypt, 17-something, 1700-something B.C., you have Semitic tribes mentioned there, Semitic names. You have a Jewish midwife, Shifa. You have all that showing that the Jews... We're in Egypt at 1700 and something B.C. That would have been the time that they were enslaved. So you have these evidences right there of these things that overturn what people try to tell you otherwise. And then if somebody ever tells you something like young people, oh, there's no such thing as miracles, that's impossible. Well, this is what I would do. And you, this is, I'll rehearse it. We've rehearsed this before. I would say, okay, then let's think about this. You don't believe in miracles? No, I don't. There's no way those 10 things happen there. Okay. So, last century in the 1900s, we had two scientists, not Christians, just scientists. They discovered, once again, remember, that the universe had a beginning. Amen? Before that, they thought it was eternal. It worked well with evolution and everything else, which is untrue. Evolution is not true. But now it had a beginning, and it's ex even expanding right now, and it's running out of energy. But it had a point in time where it began, which means this. If you could play back on a tape, the universe back in time, it would reduce down not to a basketball, not to a bowling ball, not to a ping pong ball, not to a pinhead, but to nothing. And then there was something. You know, and I both know, that you cannot get something from nothing. Amen? Unless there's a miracle. Something happened. So if take a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, all-powerful mind we call God, and then now it confirms that Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Amen to that one? And so you tell him this. Since we know that everything that we see now started from nothing, and science has proven this, and you may don't have to believe in God, but only a God could create something like this from nothing, then I can look at the 10 plagues of Egypt like, you know, water to blood and gnats and boils. I can sit there and say, if God created everything here out of nothing, I think those 10 miracles are a piece of cake. Amen? Amen. Never forget that. Also, you can use that same idea when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If God created everything out of nothing, I think he can raise the God-man Jesus from the dead. Amen to that one? So use the same arguments right there to prove your faith. So young people, take that, learn that. I'll, be, I'll say it again and again in my lifetime so you get it. So I don't even remember where I'm at in my notes anymore because I, I had to get that off my chest. No, I'm just joking. So here we go. So this is the background now of the mom and dad. So Exodus chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2, and it says this. 
Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. That's one of those 12 sons of Jacob. Levi was one of them. And bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for how long? Three months. Okay, now you got to think of the pressure that they're under. Now let's imagine being these people. They're, they're in slavery. They've been enslaved for, at this time, about 360 years, something like that. No, about 320 years. And they know their child, once it's born, it's going to be a slave all its life. That's the way it's always been. But now there's a new pressure. Not only will my child be a slave, if I have a boy, what are they going to do to my boy? They're going to kill my boy. They're going to take my boy and they're going to drown my boy. And that's pressure. That's a lot of pressure on that mom and on that dad. Think about it. They cannot have a reveal party like we have today, right? There's nothing going on Egyptian, Instagram, and Facebook. There's not going to be any baby showers, nothing like that. So it's both on one side, it's excitement. On the other side, it's great fear and trepidation. What will happen if, if we have a boy? Which is, it's wild. Now, let me give you a little sidebar on this before I move to the next verse, and that's this. In that, it describes the baby, which is Moses. It describes him as what? Beautiful. Who wrote Exodus? Who wrote Exodus? Moses wrote it. Moses is telling us that he's a beautiful baby? <laughs> now, I have to think that probably the person that told him that he was a beautiful baby was his? It's got to be his mama. Because every mama thinks their baby's the most beautiful. Amen, mama? Amen. That was really weak. Amen. Are you, sitting, are you sitting next to your children right now, or what's going on? So, so he probably put that in there because mama told him he's a beautiful kid. Okay. Now, look at verse 3. Here we go. It says, now here comes, here's the crisis moment. But when she could, know, uh, could, know, could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. And she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Now from this moment on, everything this mother is going to do is going to be not about herself, but it's going to be all about that baby boy. Correct? It's all about telling herself no now, sacrificing what she'd like versus what's best for my baby boy. And every mama knows what that feels like. Right, moms? Amen. Every mama knows. There's three bullet thoughts I'm going to give you off that one verse. And then I'm going to add a verse in the middle of it there. And it's already, no, it's already written in. But the first one is this. She makes an ark of rescue. She makes an ark to put her baby in. Way of escape. Now you say an ark? Well, think about it. She takes a wicker basket. And she takes tar and pitch. She puts it inside. She puts it outside. Now you say, what's tar and pitch? Well, there's oil in that there part of the world, right? And so she does the same thing that Noah did to the big ark in Genesis. He put pitch on the inside. He put pitch on the outside. It keeps it waterproof, guys. It helps it stay buoyant. Sidebar, side note. One day in the future, maybe our lifetime, maybe not, in the great seven-year tribulation, the last seven years of earth before Jesus returns in the second coming, it says that the earth, will, the sun will grow hotter. We know that will cause the, some of these caps to melt on the mountains, right? And underneath all that ice on Mount Ararat, there sits a big boat called the Ark. Amen? 
and it has pitch on the inside and it has pitch on the outside which means it's preserved pretty good huh and so in that tribulation period when everything melts the whole world more than likely is going to see that ark way up there at the top of Mount Ararat can you imagine that moment how are they going to spin that one right but it's possible to see that now I want you to think about this because this is a mom and this might be a mom's greatest responsibility she puts pitch on the inside pitch on the outside she puts him in the ark this is the ark of, of escape this is salvation the greatest thing you exist for mamas is to give your children salvation is it not to lead those babies to God that's the greatest thing it's the most important thing because that ark that little thing is going to be his safety it's his escape it's very important that you keep those babies from babies on up in the right fellowship. Look, your babies, your children, they're going to have plenty of fellowship by default with the culture. Are they not? By default. Because we live in this world, but we're not of this world, right? But you've got to have them in the fellowship of the local body of ch the church, correct? You've got to have them regularly in there. They've got to grow up in that fellowship because there's a, a competing culture out there. And I know most of us would agree, some maybe not, but the culture is more and more upside down, is it not? So you've got to put them in the right culture. You've got to give them the right chance. You've got to talk to those kids about God, Jesus Christ at home too. You've got to do that. Now let me show you something that I never thought about before, but I'm glad the Holy Spirit showed it to me a couple days ago in this text. I never thought about this, but the application I think works. She takes that little wicker basket and she puts pitch on the inside, a pitch on the outside. That's a petroleum product, petroleum product, correct? Oil, oil. We know one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit is oil. Now think about that. She pitches it on the inside, she pitches it on the outside to keep it afloat and to keep it from the waves coming into that little ark, that little boat, that water coming in of the Nile. You've got to be very deliberate, Mom, that you um, pitch your child inside and out. The outside pitch oil is you, Mom and Dad, sharing Jesus with that kid. You're putting pitch on that kid. The church, you bring him to church regularly. You're putting pitch around that kid of the Spirit of God. And that pitch eventually goes from the outside to the inside. There's pitch on the inside of that little ark too. And you want to pitch your kid, the Spirit of God, outside, and you want to pitch him on the inside. How many, know, how many understand what I'm talking about? And so once you do that, and you keep doing that, that kid's going to think like God thinks and have that biblical worldview, and you will have created an ark of escape for that child in the midst of a world that's upside down. Amen to that? Now, let me give you a second thought now in that, from that verse. The second thing is she places her three-month-old baby in the ark. Now, can you imagine, Mom? Can you imagine putting your three-month-old in that ark? Can you imagine? I got a four-and-a-half-month-old four grandson, Nolan. Well, his name's Jimmy. But anyway, Nolan. Um, he's James Nolan, but they call him Nolan. I don't know why they do that. But, uh. but I can't imagine putting that guy in a little ark, sending him off. 
That'd be like, that's insanity. So here's, here's my question with that. She puts him, question, what river does she put her boy in? Question, what river are they killing the baby boys? Is that insanity or what? She's either crazy, desperate, or led by the Spirit of God. So which is it? Well, let's look at Hebrews. Let's see what it says right there. Hebrews says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, by what again? By what again? By faith. Was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. I like that. I like that a lot. So she's led by the Spirit of God. Now, don't you think about that, though, on how that becomes a situation where she denies herself and chooses what's best for her baby. Moms, let's be honest. Let's just pretend we're not in church. Pretend it's, it's like a life and death situation. God tells you, put your child in this little ark, put him in that river where they're killing the babies. What's your natural feel on that? Are you crazy? Are you? No, God, I rebuke you. You know, Satan, get thee behind me. You know, everything, you know. It goes against everything you feel, right? Everything you think. They're killing the babies down there. But she's led by the Spirit, and she takes her child and puts it, follows the Spirit. She goes against all of her inclination, denies herself, puts her baby in that basket, puts him in the Nile River. Isn't that crazy? Let me tell you something on the sidebar note right there. What did she go against? Did you catch it in Hebrews? The king's edict. Was it an edict? Was it a law? Was it a command in Egypt to kill the baby boys? You better believe it. Is she taking her life in her own hands by going against it? You better believe it. She's denying herself. Also, let me show one. Be careful with this one, Christians, but it is true. And don't take it overboard. When God's law, or when man's law, goes against God's law, what law do you obey? God's law. She went against man's law. Man's law says kill the baby. She says, no, God's law says no. And you go with God's law. Over man's law all the time and 80 million times on Sunday. Amen to that one? She goes against it. Which means in our life, if we ever have to go against it, sometimes it may cause us a job. It may cause us things. Look, there's going to come a day, God forbid, when things that me, us preachers or maybe you say uh, about you know, morality, they are now calling it hate speech. Are they not? They're going to come a day, they're going to try to shut those things down. You can sit there and say, oh, no, that's going to happen. It's coming, guys. It's coming. And I'm not going to obey the king's edict. I'm going to obey what God says. And so do you. And it may cost us something. You say, well, I don't like that. Well, look at back in history what it cost the Christians to live for God. Amen? So she disobeyed the king's edict. Now, the third little bullet point I want to point out in there is this. She watches her baby sail off. Can you imagine that? Now, if she, watch, she watches her baby sail off, and you have to think, and I'm going to speculate, moms, she has to think to herself, did I do enough for my baby to live? Did I do enough? Let me rephrase it, let me rework it with moms that I've talked to over the years. It goes more like this in the head of moms. Have I been a good mom? Am I a good mom? I've talked to enough moms over 30-some years to know that many moms wonder if they're good moms. 
I was talking to this young gal, 30-year-old young mom, and I don't know how we got on the subject, but I said, you know, a lot of moms feel like they're not, do, they're not good moms. She goes, I feel like that too. I'm like, I'm not a good mom. And I told her, I said this, I said, just by virtue of the fact that you're worried that if you're a good mom or not, I bet you you're a good mom because you're worried about it. So when I'd see her after, I'd go, hey, you're a good mom. But she puts them in there. She's wondering, have I been a good mom? Have I done enough, you know? But think of it. Let's, now, let's flip that. She puts them in there. It's like, you know, he's going on the carnival cruise, correct? <laughs> he, he's, he's going. He, he's leaving. And so let's look at it this way in a more humorous, painful point. Um, that's the mom. Let's go from a mom-son perspective. Look, you have a baby boy. You're the one who went through all that labor pain. Remember the ay, ay, ay. No, I'm just joking. All the pain. And then you're the one who's up in the middle of the night. You're the one changed the diapers. You're the one who took him the, to the doctor at three in the morning with the earache. You're the one who did all that kind of stuff. And then one day, he meets that voodoo woman. Am I right? <laughs> he meets that voodoo. He meets that woman. And all of a sudden, he loves her more than who? What? <laughs> and one day, he says, I'm going to marry her. And you have to pretend like you like the girl. Remember that? <laughs> oh, I'm so happy for you. You go inside and get your voodoo doll that you've created of her. And no, I'm just joking. I'm joking. Don't write me. Don't say, I don't believe in voodoo. I don't, it's, just, it's a joke. It's a joke, okay? But then you have to let go, huh, mom? How many moms remember the day when your son, if it was a son or daughter, got married, and they, they're married now, and that room in the house is empty? Anyone remember that one? It's the worst, isn't it? It's the worst feeling. But you got to let them go. And that's the pain of a mom. You're other-centered. You let go. That's what a mom does. Now, let's move on now. Look at verse 4 of Exodus chapter 2. Verse 4, it says this. See how the story progresses. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. Now, this is really important. Why is the sister there and not the mother there? If the mother's there and they see the mother there looking around the river, what are they going to think? Sums up. So it's wise to send the sister there. And, and, I, and I like what it says there. The sister's there to see what would happen to him, right? Come on, moms, be honest. It don't matter how old your babies get. You're always worried about what's going to happen to them. Am I right, mama? They could be 45. I'm still worried about what's going to happen to them. I'm still praying for them. I'm still thinking about them. Because you only see them in diapers, right? You're wondering if they can even survive without you. They've been surviving for 20 years without you, mama. But you have to let go. There comes that moment in time. Now let's read on. Now watch this. This is so cool. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens and walking alongside the Nile, and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. Here comes Pharaoh's daughter. Here comes all of her servants. And they come down to the area where they have placed that wicker basket, that little ark with little three-month-old uh, Moses in there. Now, I have a question for you. If you're the sister, you're the sister, you're Miriam, and you're looking at all these tabs, you know who this lady is. You can tell by the wardrobe. You know she's high-ranking Egyptian official. What's your first feeling? It's not going to be good. You're afraid. 
Oh no, he's going to fall right into Egyptian hands. They're going to, they're going to see my, my brother, they're going to see he's a Hebrew, and they're going, to drown, they're going to drown him right now. He didn't stand a chance. So fear sets in. Instantly, fear comes into play. But here's the thing about that, guys. Is Pharaoh's daughter just there by chance? Is it by chance? No. This is a divine orchestration. That God has Pharaoh's daughter there at the moment, and she was spirit-led to put her baby in there. This is divine orchestration. Have you ever noticed, even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it, that God is like about 20 steps ahead of you? But when you're in it, waiting for God to do something, you're like, where are you, God? And then after it happens, you know, after so many months or a year, you go, oh, I knew you were there all the time. Shut up, okay? <laughs> God is way ahead of you. He's always way ahead of every one of us. And so this is a divine orchestration because nothing just happens. Amen? Amen. Now, <clears throat> let's read verses 6 to 10, then I'm going to drive it home. When she opened it, so she sees it, she opens that little ark up, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. What woman looking at a baby crying doesn't feel, right? And she had pity on him and said, and she instantly knows, this is one of the Hebrew children. See, she knows this baby boy is supposed to die in that Nile River. She knows. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, because the sister's following her brother, right? Now she goes up to Pharaoh's daughter. Um, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Who's she going to call? Yeah, not Ghostbusters. She's going to call mama. (laughs) She's going to call her mom. Shall I call a Hebrew woman to nurse? You know that Pharaoh's daughter knows what's going on. You know what the sister's doing. And watch this. Verse 8. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead, go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I shall give you wages. What? You're gonna, get, you're gonna pay me to nurse my kid? How many moms would have signed up for that right now? <laughs> so the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So she nursed him all the way past to weaning age. And she named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. So Moses means drawn out, and he will be the one to draw out the Israelites. Okay, let me try to put it all together here. I know, moms, that in, in motherhood, I, I, I know, you're not looking for a reward. I, I know. I, I've been around my mom. I watched my wife. She's a mom. I watched my daughter. She's a mom. I watched my daughter-in-law. She's a mom. You're not looking for a reward, but there are rewards, are there not? She gets to nurse the kid, and she gets paid. Another thing that's happening here is her son, here's another reward, her son Moses will grow up in Pharaoh's house. She will not have to pay for his food, his clothing, him leaving the air conditioning on with the doors open. Anybody know what I'm talking about from experience? Oh, that pained my heart one day when I came home like that. I, I, why did I ever have children? You know, I'm just... 
and an education. They paid for his education too. Is that a reward or what? Yeah, you better believe it. And think about it. Here's a side note. Pharaoh is paying for Moses' food, clothing, his vans, you know. He's paying for where to live, paying for education. This is the person who will overthrow everything that Pharaoh is trying to do by killing the babies in the Nile. And Pharaoh is paying for it. What a reward, huh? And the greatest reward is her boy's going to be the deliverer. The deliverer. Now watch. This is what I want to finish with this thought. Watch this. Hebrews 11, 20 through 24. The writer of Hebrews gives us great insight. Whoever he was, this writer. Nobody really knows who the writer of Hebrews New Testament letter was. It says, by faith. Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. They were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing, say choosing, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Did you catch that? No, did you really catch that? Let me give you a little quick side note. Passing pleasures of sin. This has nothing to do with what I'm going to say. Has anybody caught on yet that sin is only fun for a little while? And whatever sin we get into, then we got to go deeper into that sin, a little deeper into it. Anybody notice that? And then pretty soon that doesn't fulfill the need anymore. Anybody notice that? And then you got to go deeper into that sin. Anybody notice that? And that's how addictions start. And that's how addiction takes you deeper and deeper and deeper until it starts to destroy your life because a thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy you. Am I right? Because sin is only passing pleasures. I'm not saying it ain't fun, but it's passing pleasure. It passes. Now, notice what it said there about Moses. There came a moment in his life when he said, I know I grew up in the Egyptian household, but I'm not Egyptian. I'm a Hebrew. And I'll go hang out with my people. I'll go endure with them rather than go into the passing pleasures of sin. I'll do that. But notice the key word. What was the word I had you repeat? What was it? Come on. Choosing. See, Moses made a choice. I like that word. Because when he was faced with the choice of the sinful culture or the ways of God, what did he choose? The ways of God. He knew who he was. I'm not an Egyptian, I'm a Hebrew. He knew what right and wrong was. You have to believe that he didn't learn that in Pharaoh's house. He had to have learned that with his mama and his daddy that they taught him the right things look look guys one of the greatest greatest rewards of being a mama being a parent is that your kids grow up to be biblically moral am I right that they grow up to be well adjusted people moral and they contribute to the benefit of society am I right they grow up to be good people honest people 
people who love God, am I right? That they choose the right things. That all goes back to upbringing. And I know some of you did all the right things and one of your kids still went the other way. Keep praying. It ain't over yet. It ain't over yet. But moms, one of the greatest rewards and one of the greatest things you give to our society is that you raise those kids in the ways of God and they make right choices and they become well-adjusted human beings. Amen? Here's how I want to close today. I want all you moms to stand up. Moms, grandmoms, stepmoms, foster moms. And by the way, if you're a foster mom, what did Pharaoh's daughter become to Moses? It's a foster mom. Don't forget that. You know that in California alone, there are 65,000 kids in the foster program? You know that in California, we have one in every seven foster kids in all of America? Just in California. It's a massive problem. Now, it's a breakdown in the family, obviously. They're not giving you the true statistics on what really the problems are. It's a breakdown in the family. It's what it is. And that's why every year we do a lot of things to help bless and give to foster kids, especially the ones who are aging out. You guys know we do that, right? You, you buy things, give to them. Because otherwise, if we don't help them, they're going to go into, they're going to end up in prison, on the streets, something. Once they age out. And so, we got to help. We got to do. That's why we do these things. It's the right thing to do. But I want to end today. Um, I just want to pray for you, moms and grandmoms and stepmoms and, and foster moms and those who stepped in as a mom. I want to pray God's blessing on you because you know what? You did a lot of work. You denied yourself. You denied yourself. Some of you are still in the middle of denying yourself. I'm past that now. Olivia and I, we're free. And whenever you think you're got out, they drag you back in, don't they? <laughs> I go, what happened, Olivia? No, I'm joking on that. But I want to pray blessing on you. So I want you to close your eyes. Let me first speak to you. Here's what I believe God would tell you. Daughter, I'm very pleased with you. Daughter, I have seen the seasons of pain and the seasons of joy. Daughter, I see you currently in your sleepless nights. Daughter, I see that smile you put on when inside it's not smiling. I'm pleased with you, daughter. Daughter, I see all your efforts to live for me and to give your children my son, Jesus Christ. Daughter, you are a blessing to me, God would say. Now let me pray for you. Lord, I, I, I pray for every mommy here, every grandmother, every great-grandmother, foster parent, stepmom. Pray your blessing on her. They carry great responsibility. 
They carry great love. They're so others-centered, like the mom in the story. Everything was about her boy, the welfare of her boy. That's love. That's love in application. And that's what you moms do. And so I pray strength for you. Bigger, long life, health. I pray God's great blessing upon your lives. And I thank God for you. I thank God for you. I thank God for you. And so, Lord, we finish today. We finish today, God, on this note. How great moms are. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said, Amen and Amen. Now, you may be seated just for a second, okay? If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.